Welcome to season four of the Research Briefs podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Streveler, professor of engineering education in the College of Engineering at Purdue University. In Research Briefs, we'll speak with engineering education researchers about what their lives are like, what they are finding out, and how their research is being used. Welcome to the Research Briefs podcast. I have two guests today that I'm happy to share with you. Dr. Natasha Perova-Mello, founder of STEM Learning Consultancy, LLC, using theory, practice, and the psychology of online interaction to support collaborative learning in STEM. Natasha's research interests include online learning, use of technology to support communication and knowledge building in engineering teams, conceptual knowledge, and reflective teaching in STEM. My second guest is Dr. Nicole Peterson, Assistant Professor in the Department of Engineering Education at Virginia Tech. Nicole's research interests are exploring the development of students' disciplinary identity through engagement with knowledge, curriculum design, assessment, and evaluation, and teaching for conceptual understanding. In this episode, Natasha and Nicole will tell us about their new podcast, Reflective Teaching in the Digital Age. And I should add that uh, Natasha and Nicole are two of my very favorite people. Um, And so I'm very, very pleased to have them today. So um, can you tell the listeners about your new podcast, Reflective Teaching in the Digital Age? Sure. Ruth, first of all, thank you for such a warm introduction and welcome. And um, yes, just a couple of things about our new podcast. That first of all, it's a place for conversation about theory, practice, and the psychology of online learning. We are really intrigued by aspects of the behavior of students and instructors that are different in online or remote uh, situations as opposed to -to face-to-face spaces. And one of our goals um, is really uh, to try to capture thinking in real time on the current shifts to the new ways of teaching and learning and engineering that are supported by online technologies. And we're also hoping to start a discussion about next steps in engineering construction relevant to the new normal that our community will need to navigate in and develop effective modes of teaching. Um, You know, at large, we're really trying to understand through this podcast how digital transformation is impacting engineering education culture that's relevant to learning, teaching, and workplace behaviors. And some of the questions that are guiding um, our interest, just examples of you, is that where are we moving as a community? What do we need to pay attention to? What do we need to be aware of in online um, education? What can we learn from people who have been thinking about and doing this for a long time? And how will this move to remote working and learning continue after the pandemic is over? And most importantly, how do engineering students need to be prepared for a different workplace where remote work is the norm? So it's not about a temporary shift that's happening now, 
but it's really a shift in the mindset of how do we educate um, future engineering professionals. Thanks for the introduction, Ruth. And uh, that was a really good overview, Natasha. I just wanted to also add that in keeping with this idea of mindset is that different contexts or different learning contexts warrants the use of different instructional approaches or even just a different way of thinking about teaching on the path of instructors. And so what we were trying to do or what we hope to do with this podcast is to create for practitioners. So we are aiming to reach practitioners who may not have read the multiple papers about how to engage students or how to design learning spaces, but we're trying to give to them key nuggets based on years of research and experience um, from our guests that kind of helps them in making the shift from online, from face-to-face to online, but also being intentional about how they recognize the differences that each context provides and how they try to reach the multiple students that they have in their classrooms. Well, you know, I think this is just a very exciting uh, approach to this that so often either we're just focusing on here's the next thing, how do I use this platform, Um, or we're getting very kind of high-minded about thinking about the theory of it. And what you are doing is really combining those two and also helping people think about, okay, now what is coming? What am I going to do differently? How are the students going to respond differently? Um, I, I just, as you know, I just think this is really exciting and I'm, I'm grateful that you started the podcast and that you're letting us know about it. Um, I wanted to go back to something that Natasha said initially about the psychology of online learning. Um, I don't know that I've really heard people talk about that uh, very much. So could you say a little bit more about what you mean by that and maybe what some examples of that might be? You know, I think for us, it's kind of a new um, direction of thinking about online learning because primarily we kind of, you know, we're focused on conceptual learning and the social aspect of online learning. And then, you know, through our interviews, we um, began to learn that, for example, things like, well, they're different personality types, you know, the extroverts and the introverts and how they show up in online space could be very different in comparison to the face-to-face interactions. And of course, that's really important for teamwork, you know, because you have people who are very social and who want much more easily in a face-to-face environment, you know, yet the introverts could be very quiet. But um, actually in one of our conversations with uh, Randy Garrison, where he talked about how uh, it's really amazing to see that people who are more quieter socially, they really show up in an online space and they become very active. They contribute a lot. So that type of dynamic is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think from the instructional standpoint, understanding what your students' personalities are and how do you help them show up their strength, show their strengths and use their strengths, it's really important. Um, and just another quick point to mention also um, things that we've heard about like psychological safety 
or financial leveling that are typically discussed in a face-to-face circumstances of teamwork and something that was discussed by one of the Matt Olin students in his defense um, this year. But those things become really interesting in an online space, you know, because things like financial leveling, if you don't show, if the students can't really see what you have, and they just interact with you in an online space. So that's good, again, be a good way to um, to kind of balance out inequalities from a financial standpoint, and which I understand could be applicable to other situations as well. I yeah. also think about, um, I'm sorry, I also think about, you know, the side conversations that you would have had with the students as they're coming into the classroom or the side conversations the students would have had with each other. I think that helps to build a sense of community in the classroom, which in an online space is missing. And so as a practitioner, how do you create these opportunities for your students to engage with you and see you as a person, not just a talking head on a computer, as well as their peers? Um, do you enforce the use of cameras or are you just using little activities, get to know you type activities that students can help, you know, build this collaboration because people don't collaborate naturally, I think. It's something they have to learn to do and therefore the activities or the tasks or the assignments in the class has to help them to foster that sense of collaboration. Mm-hmm. And Ruth, actually, in the interview with you, when you talked about this trust, how do you build mm-hmm. trust as an instructor? Mm-hmm. And it's not going to happen overnight, and it doesn't happen overnight in a face-to-face environment. But right. how do you show that you care, and how do you foster this connection with students? Um, and I think it's especially interesting in the context of first-year engineering students who, um, for example, might not have had any experience of online learning prior to that. Mm -hmm. So those things like fostering trust and um, building social relations is really, really interesting and important. And one of the things I know I found in, particularly in um, spring of 2020, when we just had to make this, you know, instant switch to remote learning was that I realized the time that I would like walk into the classroom and get everything set and all the students would come in and then I'd, you know, turn on the projector for my slides. And all of that was a good transition time for me to cue me that now I'm starting to start the class. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm in my little office at home with my laptop on my lap and I'm doing one thing, and then the next minute, uh-huh. class has started. And I'm, oh, goodness, class has started. And I, I kind of missed having that ritual of, of going to another place um, and seeing the students. And they probably missed coming in and sitting in a particular place with a usually near a person that, you know, you know how students always sit in the same place after the uh-huh. first couple of days. Um, I, I just noticed how different that was and that I needed to create a little ritual to my, for myself to realize, okay, now I'm in class. Um, I'm not looking at a YouTube video or I'm not searching online to buy something or I'm not reading my email. I'm in class now. Um, so it's just, I just find that interesting. 
something you just said will kind of spark something in my head as it relates to rules of engagement in a classroom. So when you're standing in the room, you can tell if someone's about to say something or if it's first year engineers, like I teach sometimes, you can intimidate them into answering a question by looking directly at them for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, as you start to learn students' names, you can say, oh, you know, Natasha, do you have something to share? Um, but then when it's online, I know some of them don't have their cameras on. So mm-hmm. you're just looking at a name on a play, on a little plaque on, on Zoom or something. Um, and it's kind of hard to gauge when someone wants to say something. So then even for myself personally, I had to sit with a lot of awkward silences because I didn't want to jump right back into something when a student was still processing. And mm-hmm. over time, I've gotten used to just the comfort comfortable silence for like 15 seconds or so and if they realize I'm really not saying something then some brave soul will pipe up and say something but that's harder to gauge when you're in an online environment for sure Mm -hmm. social cues yes I've even noticed with the you know the news anchors now doing their interviews remotely that even very seasoned you know, journalists and interviewers will find that sometimes they, they, uh, the person starts answering their question and they're still asking the question that they're, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. again, they don't have that immediate cue of sitting right, you know, a few feet from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I think that also brings an interesting point um, of digital natives and kind of their modes of communication. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously we can't ignore the power of texting. And I think, you know, it's online, online education kind of started with the text-based uh, communications. I think we're sort of adding right now the layer of the video that we can see somebody, or maybe if they don't have a camera, then we cannot, but there's still this different layer of interaction. And, um, I think it's just interesting to understand, you know, who are these digital natives? How do they interact with each other? You know, how do they convey those social cues in a sort of text texting type of system? Mm-hmm. And um, so, so I think it's it's also this, you know, point of like we need to understand our students. What what do they do? What are their traits? And um, what are their communication is like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's, it's so exciting to be able to have a space where you can talk with people and reflect on it, which is what mm-hmm. your podcast is doing. Yeah. Um, so why did you want to start this now? This podcast? How, what, what was your um, impetus for saying, okay, um, you have, I guess, what, five episodes that are launched already? Is that right? Um, well, right now, um, as of today, we have three and three. then two more coming very soon. Okay. So very soon you'll month. have five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not hot off the presses, but really pretty new. So why did you want to start the podcast now? It was hard not to. <laughs> I, I think both Nicole and, and myself, we kind of had conversations and there was the sense of, well, oh my God, big things are happening, right? In a sense of immediate shift to an online space, you know, because obviously online teaching, learning is not a new concept and it existed for quite a while. And, um, but it's not that everybody had to shift to that. So um, having that's happening, 
in real time, um, really kind of, I think, was a big motivation to say, well, we have to capture people's thinking about what they're going through right now. And um, because if we do it later, it's going to be different. So we want Mm -hmm. to understand what's their real thinking for people who never taught online before. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they have to teach um, engineering education courses right now. Mm-hmm. So I think that was that was a big push. And um, but obviously, you know, this is something, Ruth, and I think I would credit you with that because we had those conversations long time ago um, when you were suggesting this. You know, it's interesting to understand how digital changes affect teaching mm-hmm. and what does it mean for an instructor to be reflective about the changes that's happening and how do you teach in this new environment. Mm-hmm. So I think it was sort of like a long conversation that was happening between all of us for quite some time, but it didn't have this um, urgency. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, whatever happened this spring just made it really urgent and made it necessary. And I think, you know, provided a big push for the launch of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, that reminds me that it would be useful also for the listeners to know a little bit more about your journey towards this topic, how you got interested. You're, you've started to talk about that a little bit, but could you both expand about upon it? I skipped a question. I realize I skipped, how did you get interested in this? So I'll give you time to pause and realize that I'm, (laughs) that I messed up here (laughs) and just went to, why did you start it instead? How did you get interested? Mm -hmm. So I can go. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, well, beyond the fact that Natasha and I were having these kind of off the offline conversations and it was just something I knew she was always passionate about having done her whole dissertation as it relates to online communication. So we started out with this idea of exploring online communication among engineering design teams. And that kind of spurred, so that was, I think earlier this, late last year, earlier this year. So even before the shift happened. So before the shift, shift happened, we were talking about how students communicate in an online environment. And then March, and then March, everything went online. And in one of our many conversations, it just kind of came up to think about, you know, one, we were focused on the students, but now let's take a shift to look at how are the practitioners managing this shift? And I know personally, I do a lot of research as it relates to -to face-to-face learning environments, but I've always wanted to break into the online space primarily because there are some things one takes for granted when you're in a face-to-face environment. There is something about the setting. You walk in, as you were talking about earlier, Ruth, there's a classroom. People know what happens in here. There's some kind of transaction between the instructor and the student. And now when we're in an online environment where someone is sitting at their dining table or someone is sitting um, in their living room with the laptop on their laps, like the setting has changed, but the expectation remains the same. You are going to be engaged. There's going to be learning happening here and teaching happening here. But we also need to take into consideration that one has to be, the word I keep using is intentional. Instructors have to be more intentional about how they design courses. It's not so much as to say, well, there are 26 chapters in the book and by God, we're gonna get through all of them by the end of the semester. People's bandwidth only goes so far, especially when there are 
constantly being bombarded in an online with the screen and all the other things that were going on. So I think a lot of instructors had to stop, take stock of where they were in their class, even though I'm very much certain that some are still doing it exactly as they would have pre-March 2020. Um, but I think more people now are thinking about bandwidth and cognitive overload as it relates to themselves and their students. And therefore, we wanted to create a space where we could help, um, not to say you have to do it this way, but to let practitioners know that there are resources available to them that they can use to make this a little less painless, painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really about um, sort of creating a community and creating mm -hmm. this learning space, I think, first and foremost for ourselves, you know, because you begin to realize, well, there, um, there are people who've been working on online learning for quite some time, mm -hmm. and they really understand the landscape of it. They really understand sort of the, you know, how it develops and uh, what do you need to pay attention to? What are the affordances of online? What are the limitations? Mm -hmm. Um I think, you know, what's really interesting to say is that engineering is very unique in a sense um, that conceptually it's difficult. So there is this part that, you know, in a face-to-face -face environment, conceptual learning is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, as you well know, <laughs> big field of research. And then when you move it to online, um, like Nicole is saying, intentionality and understanding, well, how do you how do you present this information online, right? And, and sort of what are the um, amounts of the video that you need to put and, you know, what simulations, what virtual labs, et cetera, should go into the kind of conceptual space. And I think, Ruth, you alluded to that in, uh, in our conversation that, you know, at least this is something that we're a little bit more familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's also this aspect of teamwork that's at the core of engineering, especially relevant to first-year engineering courses, as well as the capstone design courses. And that presents numerous challenges because all of a sudden, um, you know, especially in a completely virtual environment, virtual teamwork, you have, for example, for the first year engineering students, you have those new students who have to learn very quickly. How do they communicate? How do they work productively in an online space? And on top of that, you need to have instructors who understand what's happening in the space and can help students learn the necessary skills and can moderate their um, meetings and, you know, help them to figure out their workflow process in that. So this is very challenging. But I think those areas, um, like I said, the conceptual part and the teamwork mm -hmm. make engineering very unique and also makes it very, very important um, to have efforts, research efforts in understanding what it means to teach engineering online. And I, I have heard from others that uh, for quite a while, people said that engineering could not be taught online. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, for for many of the reasons that you just pointed out, Natasha, the the difficulty of it, the teamwork, uh, the feeling that you know you have to do more hands on kinds of things, um, and and now we're finding, wow, well, yeah, you have to do it that way. So, mm -hmm. and, and there are ways to do it. You know, as we are kind of um, learning through our guests and 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 their experience of trying to figure out how you do that and mm -hmm. how do you facilitate teamwork. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's just a very important areas of research. And I think they really need to be um, 
highlighted more yeah. in the conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the five interviews that you've done so far, um, what have you learned? What would be some things that you think um, are little teasers for the prospective listeners to go ahead and, and subscribe to your podcast and listen? Um, what are some of the things that you've learned? Well, one thing I've learned is I don't like the sound of my voice. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that, too. It took me a while. <laughs> You know, um, I think we've had some really good conversations, though. Um, For example, one of the things we, Natasha and I, found that we were doing unintentionally was that as we were planning our guests, it would seem we had one person talk about the theoretical side of things, and then the other person would, the other guest would talk about the same topic, but in more practical terms. Um, And Natasha can talk more about this later on, but um, primarily we, like we did yours first, talking about CAP, um, the content assessment and pedagogy course you teach, and how you made the switch from a face-to-face class to online and the things you had to think about making those changes. And then we had Rohit, um, which is a recent Purdue grad, and he was talking about the technological content assessment mm-hmm. pedagogy um, mm-hmm. framework that he's divided um, mm-hmm. devising. So two words that keep kept coming up for us was this uh, uh, being flexible and adaptable to understanding that nothing is set in stone and you have to read and understand your students, but also the content you're delivering and how that might change based on your context. One thing I learned from Rohit, which really blew my mind was when he, we were talking about access because access to technology, mm-hmm. access to um, you know stable internet is something that I think a lot of people didn't think about when we said, oh, let's put it all online, assuming everybody has stable, reliable internet at home. And he talked about how in India, they have a certain amount of data, so gigabytes that they can use. I still think about that conversation to this day where he said then he and his fellow instructors had to be very intentional about how much time they planned their lessons when students only had so much data and so it was forcing them to think about what is important and what definitely is not and how can we get the information to them knowing that we can only make a video that's so you know just so long because that's all the data they will have and I think you mentioned it to Ruth about you know how many short snippets what are the main points and use those so take a class that was three hours and make it into three eight minute videos or something um that was one of the things that has really stuck with me that i don't know if i would have thought of before we started this podcast mm-hmm. yeah. i mean the biggest thing was like you really need to be reflective so i thought mm-hmm. we nailed out title <laughs> in all of that but i think you know as i remember randy was saying it would be really good for the instructors to you know, to test things out, because I think what's happening, especially right now is this kind of emergency situation is that, you know, a lot of engineering constructors just never had practice with teaching online. So there is no necessarily this internal feel or awareness of what you should pay attention 
to. You know, I think um, this idea of, you know, and I'll use community of inquiry, for, for instance, this idea of paying, to the, uh, paying attention to the social and cognitive and the teaching parts mm-hmm. of online space and how do you facilitate this collaborative learning. So I think that becomes important. So something when you design a course, you really have to understand, well, how it's going to show up in an online space. And that I really, you know, come back to the idea of the trust. Well, how do I develop trust? So kind of the awareness of online space, the awareness of its affordances and limitations and just being kind of reflective about it, I think it's really important because it's not about bringing what was done before in a face-to-face and just moving to online. It's different. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously it takes a lot of effort. So it's not easy. And I think, again, a couple of the times uh, we were hearing that it's really, um, you know, shouldn't be, just an effort of an instructor because there are a lot of pieces that go into that. So, um, you know, if instructors can get help from the teaching and learning centers and um, maybe their colleagues, so they shouldn't feel that they can, they should carry all this load just on themselves. Um, But so there's a lot of upfront work, but I think again, just coming back to what Nicole said, flexibility, adaptability, and being reflective about what the space uh, requires it's very important. And and that's a, a very good uh, thing to remember generally in life, right? <laughs> if we would be aware and reflective of what's happening and then flexible and adaptable. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Those are really hard ones. <laughs> yes, it is. No, really like... <laughs> Yes. Quick, easy ways. Yeah. No, it's not a quick and easy way. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things that seem simple are always incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've done a good job of getting people interested in your podcast. So, what remains, though, is if people want to listen to reflective teaching in the digital age, how can they do it? So um, they can directly listen to that at um, reflectiveteaching.buzzsprout.com or they can go to places like Amazon Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and type directly reflective teaching in a digital age. So they should be able to find the podcast. Or they can look us up on LinkedIn. Because it's also, the podcast is also on LinkedIn. Yes, absolutely. So I realize that I maybe have been saying the wrong thing. Is it reflective teaching in a digital age or the digital age? A digital. A? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So let me be clear that the couple of things. So... To find it, it's reflective teaching one word, doc buzzsprout, B U Z Z S P R O U T dot com, yeah. or reflective teaching in a digital age on pot, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, um, or looking you up on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much. And do you have any closing words for the listeners? 
Well, thank you for having us. And, um, you know, we hope kind of going back to the beginning that we can create a casual, interesting, lively, spaceful conversation um, that could be useful to the engineering education community. I think that's one of our primary goals. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we ask all our guests to do towards the end of our conversation is to highlight, you know, key takeaways or little nuggets that people could try, um, even without having to go through the whole process of reading the amazing literature that they all suggest. But you know, things that people can actively use that are very practical. And so we hope practitioners find those things useful. And thank you, Ruth, for having us too. Well, thank as you. you know, it is always such a delight to be in your presence. You say the nicest things. Oh, well. <laughs> Makes you feel really shy. Thank well, you. <laughs> it's totally true. <laughs> And on that wonderful group laughter, which we tend to have a lot of, um, I will end. Research Briefs is produced by the School of Engineering Education at Purdue. Thank you to Patrick Vogt for composing our theme music. A transcript of this podcast can be found by Googling Purdue Engineering Education Podcast. And please check out my blog, ruthstreveler.wordpress.com.